0: This is Real Health Chats, real talk about health issues important to you and your family. I'm Dr. D. And I'm Becky, the doctor's wife.
1: Welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Health Chats. This is episode 16, COVID-19.
0: We're excited to be back. We've been not on the air for a couple of months. We've had some exciting things going on, though. We welcomed grandbaby number eight, and he's adorable. We welcomed a new daughter-in-law, yay, also adorable, and we've welcomed a pandemic. Not yay. (laughs) And that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: So we are going to talk about the most current event that is affecting everybody in the United States and most people across the world.
0: Do you have your toilet paper?
1: (laughs) I think we're set. So what should we talk about first?
0: Why don't we talk about viruses in general and then get more specific about this particular virus?
1: Okay, that's probably a good place to start.
0: And that means you'll have to talk about that because I don't know.
1: So a virus is a germ that makes us sick.
0: Okay, maybe I could have said that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Virus is different from a bacteria. A bacteria is a one-celled living organism. A virus is not living. It's a particle that's made up of proteins and RNA or DNA that infects our cells.
0: How do viruses make us sick then?
1: When we get exposed to these viruses, they enter our bodies, usually through mucous membranes like our nasal passages or our mouth or our lungs. So attached to them, they have structures that allow them to attach to our cells, and then they're able to move into our cells where they do their dirty business. (laughs) So once they make it into our cells, uh, they deliver their genetic code, which is either in RNA or DNA, and then they hijack Our cells ability to replicate that DNA and in so doing make the proteins that are part of the viral particle they form more viral particles or viruses and then they exit the cell and so each time one virus particle gets into a cell it replicates maybe tens to hundreds of thousand times And then it damaged the cell as it leaves causing the cell to rupture or does other damage and then that leads to more viral particles being in our body they infect other cells and it just multiplies exponentially.
0: And then we get sick.
1: And then we get sick and we get sick as a result of two things. One is the damage it does to our mucous membranes which causes runny nose congestion sore throat cough all those symptoms and then also as our immune system kicks up and starts to fight the viruses there's an inflammatory response that also contributes to some of the symptoms that we have so in short we'll just summarize the virus gets into our body it enters a cell through some type of receptor once it gets into the cell It uses our own body's ability, and it makes multiple copies of itself, and then it explodes out of the cell. And that happens literally millions of times during the early phase of the infection. And then when there's enough damage done, we start feeling sick.
0: So what makes this particular virus, the coronavirus or COVID-19, different from other viruses that we get Why are we so concerned about it when we know that we get viruses all the time?
1: So this is what's called a novel or new coronavirus. There are multiple coronaviruses that already infect humans that typically cause a mild upper respiratory infection or common cold. This new coronavirus was animal-born and was able to jump from a different animal, probably a bat, but we don't know for sure, and then infect humans. So it mutated somehow in the bat and then was able to infect us. The reason it's different is there's no natural immunity to it. It's new enough that nobody was immune to it at all. And so that's why it's spreading rapidly and people are getting more sick from it than usual. Plus, it is probably more virulent, which means it can make some people sicker than the coronaviruses that we've been exposed to in the past, and it's probably a little more contagious than some of the other coronaviruses.
0: Well, it seems to be. The percentages play out that it's a little more contagious than others.
1: Yeah, so it looks like it's a little more contagious than the regular flu, but it's not as contagious as something like measles.
0: When we first started seeing this in the news and hearing about this virus, a lot of people said, it's just like the flu. Why are we so worried? Why are we taking all these precautions? Even now, as the precautions in the United States have ramped up, I've still seen people on social media question the need for it if it's just like the flu or just another flu.
1: Yeah, so that's a really good thing to talk about. This is a virus, like influenza virus, or the flu is caused by a virus. And it's similar to some of the other viruses that cause common colds. The thing that makes this different, we talked about it just a minute ago, is it seems to be a little more contagious, and it seems to be a little bit more dangerous in certain populations. So that's one of the reasons we've really ramped up our recommendations to try and slow down the spread of this virus, because there are some people who are going to get really sick with it. So there are some differences between this illness, COVID-19, influenza, or the flu, and the common cold. Now they're all caused by viruses. For most of the common cold viruses, we've been exposed to them before or strains of them before. So when we catch one, it's a pretty mild illness for most people. And the symptoms typically are sore throat, you develop a cough, maybe runny nose, congestion, a little bit of headache, maybe some mild body aches, and sometimes a fever. But that isn't one of the predominant symptoms of a common cold. Typically, most people feel kind of crummy for the first two or three days, but it doesn't make them really sick. Uh, Most people are still able to work and go do the things they need to do. And if you saw somebody in the store with a common cold, you might not even recognize them as being sick common cold will typically last a week and then people slowly improve. There's not any medicines to treat the common cold other than symptomatically treating the symptoms that are caused. So the illness we call the flu is caused by the influenza virus. This is typically pretty fast onset which differentiates it a lot of times from a common cold. Because usually a common cold starts out, you know, a scratchy throat, you don't feel good, and the symptoms kind of build over two or three days and then get better. With the flu, it's typically you feel fine in the morning, and in the afternoon you feel horrible and you're in bed. And the common symptoms of the flu are fever, which is really common, bad body aches, terrible fatigue, headache, And then some of the other upper respiratory symptoms like cough, uh, runny nose, congestion, sore throat, which isn't as predominant.
0: We have done a specific episode, episode three of colds and flu, where we go into a lot of this very specifically. So go check that out if you're really curious about the differences in colds and flu. It's good to have this kind of summary of it, and then we can talk about how they differ from COVID-19.
1: Right. So there are some treatment options for the flu available. They work reasonably well to shorten the duration of the illness and to decrease the symptoms if a person starts taking them early enough in the course of the illness. We try to catch that while the flu is really in the strong replication phase of the viruses early on. And if we don't, you know, catch it in the first two to three days, then it's just gonna to have to run its course. The medicines aren't that helpful.
0: Are we ready to go to how COVID is different now?
1: Or yes. COVID-19? The illness, COVID-19, how it's been termed by the World Health Organization is caused by the virus that has been named SARS-Coronavirus-2.
0: Okay.
1: This illness is pretty similar to a cold or the flu. They have some crossover symptoms. Fever is very common. I saw some report where fever uh, was present in 99% of the cases. So it's not always there, but it's pretty common, (laughs) 99%.
0: From what I have read, that is the most common symptom across the board.
1: Right. So a dry cough is really common. Shortness of breath is common, and shortness of breath isn't very common in the other two illnesses. Shortness of breath is also an indication that this COVID-19 could be turning serious for an individual who has shortness of breath. Other symptoms include sore throat, which isn't as common, body aches, which is pretty common, headache, not super common, fatigue is pretty common. So you can tell there's a lot of crossover. And especially early on, it might be really difficult to tell the difference between COVID-19 and the common cold. So with this illness, the typical incubation period is between two and 14 days. Some of the studies have showed that people start showing symptoms two and a half days after exposure, and then the longest was about 12 days after exposure. So they're estimating that the incubation period is two to 14 days just to give a generous window, that information plays into the recommendation for self-quarantining and isolation and those type of things in people who have been exposed or people who've been traveling. Typically, if a person comes in contact with this illness and gets infected, they'll start showing symptoms anywhere from three days to 11 days later. There is evidence that shows that they can start passing the virus to other people a day or two before they start showing symptoms, and that's one of the reasons it's so easy for this virus to spread, because people are shedding it, are infecting other people before they even know that they're sick themselves.
0: That makes sense.
1: It does, and it really stinks, right? It does. somebody who's well one day and you think they're safe, and then the next day you find out they're sick and you've been exposed. right. The best evidence shows that this is most likely spread by droplet transmission. And that's the reason that we're saying that people should maintain a distance of about six feet from each other to decrease the chance of being infected. The droplet means that when we cough or sneeze, those droplets stay in the air for a little bit, but they're heavy enough that they fall down and hit the ground or other surfaces about six feet away. So if you're in that range and somebody coughs or sneezes, then the stuff that comes out when they cough or sneeze can get on your clothes or your face, or you might even just breathe it in or swallow it, and then you're infected.
0: You're grossing me out.
1: Well, that's what happens. (laughs) Now, they think that if it gets on surfaces you can also touch it and transmit it to yourself and so it's very important to keep things clean as possible use disinfectants things like that and also to keep your hands clean and try and not touch your face because if you touch something that has the virus on it and then touch your face your nose your mouth then you've just infected yourself so in most people that get infected up to 84 85 percent The symptoms are super mild, and in some cases, especially younger people and kids, there may be no symptoms at all. We don't know why that is yet. There are some instances where younger people have gotten seriously ill, so it doesn't protect everybody, but the risk is much lower in people who are healthy and young. The groups at highest risk are those in the 50 above, and especially 70 above, especially if there's other underlying risk factors like lung disease, heart disease, chronic illnesses that make their body more susceptible to disease and make it more difficult to fight off diseases. The course of this illness usually lasts in most people just a week or two. In people who've gotten fairly sick They're having symptoms three to six weeks, and then they're improving.
0: The vast majority of people will have mild to minor symptoms. You'll feel more like you have a cold than anything else, a cough. You might feel yucky with a fever because fever does that to you. That's what will happen to Most people who get this.
1: That's right. And I think that's why there was a misconception early on. Well, oh, this is not a big deal. This is just like flu. Why are we being so crazy with all these precautions?
0: So when people do start having these symptoms, there's a lot of confusion about who can get tested. Why won't they test me? Right. That sort of thing. I know that that's going on. People, I am feeling like I have a cold. I'm coughing. But I... Am not a critical case for them to test so they tell me not to come in and get tested yes
1: so that is happening so there's some really important things to remember and understand when we talk about this illness and testing one thing to understand is that there is no treatment right now there's not a cure and so we can't test and then treat the other thing that's important to remember is that most people are going to have a mild illness so even if you get sick with it the statistics say you're going to get better and be fine. So there may not be a need to test somebody who's relatively young, has mild symptoms, and isn't going to suffer any severe consequences from it. Other important factors in testing is we have limited tests right now. We do not have the ability to test everyone, especially in a timely manner. So people who are less likely to be seriously ill are probably not gonna be tested right now. If a person feels bad and just wants to be tested to find out if they have it, if their test is negative, they could still get it next week.
0: Right, and they've just used up a test. And they
1: just used up a test that, that somebody else could have used. When somebody has a test done, the person who is collecting that sample has to get fully gowned, gloves, a face mask, and a face shield to protect their eyes. And so that's a lot of personal protective equipment that's going to be used every time a test is done. And there's already shortages of those things in some areas. So if we can not test everybody right now, it's going to be beneficial to those people who really need the tests in a few weeks. Because
0: Including the person who wants the test right now right, and doesn't have it. Right. A little patience is in order.
1: I think that's very true. And I know it's frustrating for people because people just want to know if they have it or not. Because there's a lot of anxiety and sometimes fear associated with this illness. And so people want to know if they have it. So if they're going to expose other people. Well, I think the best thing to do is if you start getting these symptoms, assume you have it. Isolate yourself. And then if you get better in a couple of days, great. You can get out of isolation, you know, when seven days are complete. And then as long as you're not running fever and your symptoms are better, then at some point you can get back to doing your normal things. If things get worse, if you start having those worse symptoms like high fever, shortness of breath, then you do need to be tested. So early on, I would say hold off, isolate yourself, and just be patient.
0: And if people are going to get tested, it seems like the majority of locations are asking that they call ahead because they're not coming into the building for the most part, correct?
1: That's a great point. It's super important. If you think you have this, don't go to your doctor. Call them. Find out what they want you to do because if a person shows up in a doctor's office with this illness and contaminates everybody there, that office may have to shut down, and then they can't see anybody now. Right. So it's really important, if you think you have it, call your doctor. If you don't have a doctor, just call the local hospital and you know find out if you should be tested. There will be some type of screening questions that they'll ask you, and if you're high risk or they think you need to be tested, they'll send you to a place where you can get tested, and then they'll send you home. And then if you start to get more sick, then call them back and find out what you should do. But please don't just show up somewhere sick thinking you might have this because you could contaminate other people.
0: Correct. So that brings us to social distancing, which most of us are practicing now. We don't want to show up at a doctor's office or at a hospital if we're concerned about contaminating other people. But we also don't want to just go out and be around lots of people for that possibility of contaminating each other.
1: Right. So we know that this disease and virus is very contagious. We know that most people are not going to be very sick. So that's going to make it even more likely that people who have only mild symptoms are going to be out and about spreading the virus. <laughs> So this idea of social distancing slash semi-isolation for people who have symptoms is a way to slow down the infection of the population. We're not trying to prevent people from getting this necessarily because we know people are going to get it. It's contagious. It's out there. People are being exposed when they don't know it. And so people are going to get sick. What we're trying to do Is decrease how many people are sick at one time and let me give you an example of why this is important okay so let's say a community and this would be a rather small community but let's say a community has 50 ventilators in their hospitals in the community I'm just pulling that number I don't know what your community has or a community has I'm just giving an example and let's say that in that community there's gonna be a hundred people that get sick enough to need those ventilators. What we don't want to happen is for all 100 of those people to get sick in a two week period of time because then about half of them will die because they won't have access to the ventilator that they need. If we can spread that out and have those 100 people get sick over a two month period or a month or six week period and they all have access to the ventilators, then fewer of them are going to die because we'll be able to have the the equipment and the resources that we need to treat them and help them get better. That does not mean that the ventilator will save everybody, right? I mean, some people are just going to be sick and they're not going to be able to overcome it. Right. But it will save some people. It'll give them the support that they need while their body fights off the virus. So that's why this idea of social Distancing or flattening the curve is another way I've heard it described is so important because it will give people access to needed health care that they may not get if everybody got sick at once, if if this just spread like wildfire.
0: If the system is overloaded. It's not able to care for everyone.
1: That's right. So that brings us to another idea that goes along with this social distancing, and that's this idea of self-quarantine or self-isolation. You know, how long should we be out of the system, so to speak, if we get sick or if we think we're sick? So remember, the incubation is from 2 to 14 days. So if I am exposed to somebody who I know has the illness, then... I should get sick if I got infected within that 14-day period. So if I'm not sick in 14 days, I should not have the infection. And so that's why this idea of a 14-day self-quarantine for people who've traveled or people who've been on a cruise or people who've been exposed is being put in place to try and limit those people exposing other people to the disease while they're sick.
0: So, if you know that you've been in a situation that could put you and possibly others at risk, then it's a good idea to think about and to do self isolation or self quarantine.
1: It is because you may not get very sick. If you're a young person who's traveled on spring break and you've been on a cruise and you catch this, you may only have mild symptoms, but your grandma or grandpa. Or somebody else's grandma or grandpa when they get it they could get extremely ill so it's important to distance ourselves a little bit limit contact so that this thing doesn't spread as fast as it potentially could
0: so for those of us who haven't been exposed or who don't have specific risk factors of exposure what is the right way to social distance ourselves
1: so the right way to social dis- distance yourselves is not gather in big groups. Right now, it's recommending that groups be less than 10. Uh, if you have to go out, try and keep, you know, six feet away from people. Not gather in the normal social settings. So in our area and in most areas across the country, Restaurants have closed. At least dining rooms have closed. You can still get takeout or drive-through. And you should. That
0: helps support small business in your area. It
1: does. That's a good plug. But it's just this idea of not being with large numbers of people in, in confined spaces so that we limit people who are out there. And there are people out there who are infectious who aren't having symptoms. And it's to limit the spread from those people. The landscape on this is changing day to day. So what's being recommended today on what group of people to test may be different next week. And that's going to be influenced by how fast it's spreading and the availability of tests out there. If we get a bunch more tests available, it will open up the opportunity for more people to be tested. And we can really track how it's spreading and if there are like hot spots or things like that. So the other, just as we close, it's important to remember that we're going to get through this. We're not going to be like this forever. Right. Most people are not going to be very sick. True. Please follow the recommendations to social distance, to self-isolate, to wash your hands regularly, to not touch your face. Those seem like, you know, kind of silly, quirky things. But you're protecting yourself from infection, and you're protecting loved ones from infection. So,
0: And don't panic.
1: Yeah, there's no need to panic. A lot of us are going to end up catching this this disease, and in most of us, it's going to be mild. So there's no reason to panic. There is reason to have appropriate concern and follow recommended guidelines so that we can limit the number of people that get sick and hopefully limit the number of people that get seriously ill.
0: We're going to post in our show notes links to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and the World Health Organization, and that's where they have the most current recommendations and other information about this virus.
1: Yep, and again, I just reiterate, that's recommendations may change a little bit over the next couple of weeks as we learn more about this illness, as we learn more about the virus that's causing the illness, and as potential treatments become available.
0: If you have any questions, if you want us to clarify anything, please send us your questions. You can find us at realhealthchats.com and send us an email from there. We're going to follow up this episode with some more episodes having to do with the situation that we're in right now with COVID-19, like how to deal with staying at home. That's a challenge for many people. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, a little bit about things that you can do if you've got kids at home, and how to alleviate some of their anxieties. I'm also going to post in these show notes and in the next episode's show notes a link to PBS. They've got some great ideas for helping kids through this time.
1: That sounds great. Thank you for listening, being patient with us, and we'll see you next time. What was discussed today is for information only and is not meant to replace or override advice from your physician.